and Illinois is on the air after a long hiatus, if you will. This is Illinois with Bird and Cam. This is your boy Bird, and is always with me, the incomparable Cam. Cam, how we doing I'm here? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited for this story. This is this is gonna be kind of fun. Or this is fun. Interesting, I would say. Yes. So, kind of give you guys a filler on how this came about. And again, we can't stress you enough to hey, when you guys have, um, you guys have suggestions on murders and cases, please feel free to send that shit to us. Like. I mean that's it gives us notice that hey you guys are digging the content and you want us us to do stuff that you know things that you know so yeah we don't want to bore you guys yeah yeah and we had some we were on a hiatus for with the last couple of months uh, we actually tried to at least record these three times and each three times we had technical difficulties she works I half ass work and we just didn't find a time so that we are here live and in living color. So I think my phone. I accidentally washed my phone and my keys once too. Oh Jesus! So that was fun. <laughs> to give you a timeline of how this story came about, nine hours ago, nine hours ago, we received a message from a Celia Villa Gomez, and I hope I said her name right. I'd be an asshole. I'd be terrible. If I didn't. But <laughs> she sent this one at nine oh nine a.m. and she said, "Would be dope if you maybe did a, a podcast." on a Deb Dewey murder in Putnam County, Illinois. So, again, I don't see the notification. Cam immediately responds like, yeah, we'll check into it. And I'm not doing anything, and I look at it, and I'm doing some research, and I'm like, whoa, holy fucking shit. So, I'm just not going to waste any time. We had we had an original episode that we've been trying to do in the works for about a month, so I was like, you know what, that can wait. Let's do this fucking story <laughs> off, off the presses. I'm surprised, and, and looking the story and doing the research, I'm surprised that this was not covered a lot in something like you'd see in Dateline, or you'll see something True Crime Daily, or just like, because the details of it was very fascinating, very, very disturbing, like, just so fucking wild. It's, it's a little odd, Long, and yeah. it's more, it's more odd because it's not based on a farm, or... You know, like, it's not exactly, like, the middle of, like, nowhere-ish. <laughs> like, that's what kind of throws me off. Or yeah. at least the setting. I mean, it's a tale of money, sex, murder, and shit. And I'm not... That's the fucked up thing. I'm not exaggerating when I said shit. And as we get into the story, uh, I, I mean, again, it's just one... We've been doing these. We've been doing. We've been doing this podcast for a while. It's it's unique. Let's just put it like that. The story that we're going to yes. be talking about tonight. It's a unique one. It's I'm unique glad that we respect. were introduced to this one because it's definitely it's definitely a different case. Yeah. So um, beforehand, and it's been a while, Cam. Can you hit the good folks with a disclaimer? Absolutely tutti frutti. Um, so just a reminder, guys, we are just here to do our job, and that's to report. Um, don't take any of our medical advice or, or advice to heart, unless, um, I don't know, you want to, but we're, 
Uh, we're not medical professionals. So anyways, most of this information that we get is from newspaper articles, police reports, internet sources, um, you know, news sources. So if there's anything that seems wrong or incorrect, just let us know. Hit us up at Illinois with Bert and Cam on Facebook. That's the best way to get a hold of us. Um, and we'll definitely, you know, if there's something you want to add, we'll definitely be able to include that in our next next episode. So, yeah. Well, without further ado, you ready to do the damn thing? I'm ready to do the damn thing. All right. And we're going to be talking about the August 2016 murder of Deborah Dewey. Um, Cam, take us away. That's a good last name. I, I don't know if anybody watches Malcolm in the Middle, but Dewey. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> so, anyways, our, like you were just stating, our story begins on August 22nd, 2016, in Spring Valley, Illinois, which is about two hours southwest from Chicago. Chris Dewey, at this time, is apprehensive and anxious. And for the last several days, he's been trying to get a hold of his mother. Deborah, who, again, he normally talks to every day. At this time, he was at his wit's end, and he eventually goes to the police station. He files a missing persons report. And when the missing persons investigation was underway, one had to wonder if somehow Chris is thinking about an incident that Deb had told him just a few months back. And in that story... Deb recalled how she had this disturbing encounter at work with a co-worker. And during that encounter, the co-worker perpetually claimed he would kill Deb. And, understandably, shook, she reported the co-worker. And that man was quickly fired the next day. So, over time, though, Chris Dewey mentioned that Deb's fear towards that co-worker had, you know, gradually died down. But, could this be that co-worker maybe had made a good on his promise and Deb Dewey was actually met with foul play? And, you know, that kind of uncertainty is the hallmark characteristic of missing persons case. You know, family, friends, law enforcement, ga- gasping, grasping at straws, confronted with more questions than answers. And with each passing day, the hope for a safe return gets bleaker and bleaker. But still... Deb Dewey's loved ones went out and drove, searching for her to no avail. But that hope gets even bleaker when Dewey's 2007 gray Buick LaCrosse was discovered days after her disappearance in the parking lot of a restaurant and truck stop just nearly an hour away in Morris, Illinois. And on September 14th, a person doing yard work noticed a suspicious area of freshly dug ground and alerted authorities. This led to a search of the property located in Standard, Illinois, several miles away from Spring Valley where Deborah was last seen. Investigators exhumed the body from a shallow grave located in the yard of the residence, which was later identified as Deborah Dewey. And um, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, when we talked about uh, murder, sex, greed, and shit, it's the... Where Deborah Dewey was found was underneath a pile of freshly dug manure. That's, you talk about the shit, 
no pun intended. And again, I'm not, I didn't say it with the fact of, oh shit, but that is just, you talk about the disregard for that person's That's livelihood. I mean, murders. The first thing I would think of doing if somebody died around me and I had to, for some godforsaken reason, hide the body. That's <laughs> not the first yeah. thing I would think of. We've. That's. We've we've done this we've done this podcast. I don't. We've done this podcast for two years. We have done episodes where it's cold cases, or they've found bodies in areas where it wasn't, you know, at the crime scene, where they find them in the backyard, or where they find them in an in a well in a sewer in a pile of shit. And. I would understand, again, if it was, like, on a farm or anything that wasn't in, like, somebody's residential area. So, when Deborah was um, finally identified, the authorities actually announced an arrest in the case. Clifford A. Anderson, 66, was charged of concealment of a death. Anderson actually was Deborah's brother-in-law. So, Dewey testified that when Anderson showed up to his mom's apartment in Lad, the first day she was considered missing, he acted very jovial. He also claimed to not know anything about his mom providing any money to Anderson. And, and that will come up, uh, I'm about to cut you off, but not getting ahead of himself, that will be a huge content of when the trial comes along and the prosecution is out to make a motive. There's going to be things that comes out, again, where it comes to why he, or why he was the chief suspect in charge, because when it first, when he was first arrested on concealment, um, as the investigation was ongoing, it wasn't until some, some noticeable time that the charges were upgraded to murder. And again, in many cases, Police would like to keep things to the hill. They like to keep things to the vest, I should say. And it doesn't, these things normally don't come out until the trial when it's just like, what the fuck? But continue. Absolutely. And when you were saying that um, about it being upgraded to a murder charge, this was after the autopsy was performed by McLean County forensic pathologist Dr. Scott Denton. And it actually would come out that Dewey suffered four blows to the head, two in the back and two in the front. Of the two wounds to the top front half of her head, Denton said either could have or would have been instantly fatal. He added that they would have required severe force and the extensively traumatic fractures drove large skull fragments into her brain, which essentially killed her instantly. Denton actually later would testify when this went to trial that the wounds were consistent with a blow from a hard metal object with an edge. So such as an axe, a shovel, a tire iron, or even a crowbar. Interestingly, she had no defense wounds. So this was something she wasn't expecting. So I would suffice to assume that the killer started the blows in the back of the head. So she was surprised, probably. Um, And then later the delivered the fatal blows on top of her head to the front. 
Yeah. So, so over time, the charges against Anderson, like you were stating, right. was added to first-degree murder. And like he said, as we go along the story, we'll really fill in the blanks of why this actually came to be. And so bear with us. We're going about to dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper in that little, that wound, if you will. <laughs> On July 9th, 2018, so that's about two years, almost two years to when... Deborah Dewey went missing, was found murdered, and when Clifford Anderson was arrested. So a two uh, two years would pass until Anderson's trial began in Putnam County. A noteworthy bit to add uh, when the prosecution began its case was a carpet cleaner that had been entered into evidence by the prosecution. According to Gary Smith of the Pekin Times, which really was a wealth of information for us during our research, a crucial moment early on concerned on eyewitness testimony concerning a carpet cleaner. For starters, a witness testified seeing Anderson carry the Bissell carpet cleaner into the vacant home where the murder allegedly took place. When police combed over the area, the home appeared clean on the surface, but the significance of the machine appeared to be undercut by crime scene investigators. Oh, crime scene investigators. You know, it's always at night and always flub <laughs> on words and, you know, I'm all tired, but fuck it. Crime scene investigators acknowledgement that the standard home carpet did not appear to have been clean, even in areas where there were apparent bloodstains. But Kevin Zeeb, a recently retired state police forensic scientist that worked the case, testified that the cleaner as a whole was exponentially clean when it was examined. But when the machine was taken apart, blood was found on the inside of the wheels. And also, in a slot that, according to Zeeb, held a post attached to the base of the machine. So furthermore, the Illinois State, uh, what, what was it, uh, police forensic, blah, 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 crime scene investigator, sorry guys, <laughs> Daryl Stafford testified and found a bloodstain in the living room carpet as one of many types of possible evidence found after Anderson was arrested. Others included signs of blood on the carpet in the storage room and around 50 apparent splatter spots on the wall. And an old door leaning against it. So that's kind of a handful of spots, I would think. Yeah. Like, 50s of a lot. I, don't, I would have to see the crime scene. But upon cross-examination, the defense attorney Drew Parker centered on Stafford's testimony and asked if there was any evidence of attempts to clean the stain with the cleaner. And Stafford just stated not to his knowledge. And additionally, further chemical tests didn't reveal any attempts to clean the splatter marks, a point that Stafford actually acknowledged. However, Stafford added that he did not necessarily mean that there had been no efforts to clean up the scene. He actually stated, you could clean some and still leave some evidence. Forensic examiner Amanda Rowe then testified for the prosecution, and it was concerning uh, Dewey's time of death, narrowing it around August 22nd, the day she went miss missing. However, there was no approximate time that was 
accept was the definitive, definitive. And owing back to that date, Rose stated that access would have been delayed due to the fact that the body was tightly wrapped in a tarp secured with ropes and duct tape. To this end, the examiner cited the stages of development of insect larvae when Dewey's remains were unearthed on September 12th, September 12th, 14th, uh, 14th. Amanda Rowe concluded that the insects had access to the body by no later than August 30th or 31st. And, you know, it's a good thing that I ate before I recorded. And <laughs> jurors also saw numerous photographs of the grave where Dewey's body was found buried guys again in manure with the surface newly seeded to grass and covered with straw and freshly cut branches it was shallow as five inches in some parts Stafford testified the deepest point in the burial site was 13 inches 13 yeah. inches of shit Ugh. wow it's just and at the same time, though, if you think about it, like, who the fuck is buried in shit? If, if you were to hide, a, you know, if you were to hide a body in dirt or whatever, thirteen inches isn't very deep. But like, the concept of manures, it's just, it's just disgusting. And while we're still talking about manure, guess who was recorded in Walmart buying some? That's right. Clifford Anderson, which I didn't know you could buy manure at Walmart, but you can buy shit at Walmart. You can buy anything. Apparently, apparently, I don't. I didn't know you could do that. And this um, was, and this was apparently, this was a couple of days, or this is in the days leading up to the disappearance. So I mean, it, how many times it it calls back to the first episode we did uh, on Jutasha McAllister, McAllister. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She was recorded on surveillance at a Walmart at the same time the day before, a couple of days before she killed her husband. So it is something about, and we've seen in a lot of these true crime stories mm-hmm. where you see the murder just just walking away and they're finding some duct tape or they're getting whatnot. Just buying shit like they're not about to murder someone. Mm-hmm. And as you say, like, as you say, Cam, in the words of Lieutenant Joe Kinder, there are no such thing as coincidence. That's not a coincidence. That's like... That's not a coincidence. I don't even feel bad. That's so premeditated. Just get out mm-hmm. of here. Um, but at this time, the prosecution actually focused on calls between Anderson and Dewey on the day that Dewey went missing. And... They called the state police criminal analysis Lynn McClowski to the stand, but she had also said Monday that there were 10 calls, yet prosecutors had said that there were only five. So adding to the snafu was that she originally testified the two calls were actually one that involved two towers operated by different carriers. So technically there are nine calls, but 10 records of communication. So I think what that's trying to say is she was within both areas of these two towers. So Mm -hmm. they both picked it up, which would make it very, very fucking confusing when you're trying to read the. Right. Yeah. It makes it confusing. 
But at this time, the defense actually jumped on this. And as they did the carpet cleaning evidence, it appeared that Miklowski, backtracking from the word calls altogether, yet repeatedly in emphasizing that her reports were based entirely on phone company data. I have not drawn any conclusions, she said. These are records of the phone companies. But I think what we can gather is that there was actual contact between Clifford Anderson and Deb Dewey at least a number of times that day that she went missing. Okay, so let's talk about this motive. We talked about means and a little bit about opportunity. But let's talk about motive. Uh, it came out. They're back and tracking a little, guys. Came out in a pretrial hearing that Anderson was a retired drug driver and had a total income of about $6,000 a month via Teamster and VA pensions, along with disability payments. On top of that, this motherfucker was living rent-free in return of taking care of three homes owned by a Rockford man. However, however Anderson had, quote-unquote, several loans at disastrous rates, according to Prosecutor Bill Edwards, who was trying the case on behalf of the Illinois Attorney General's office. And these loans, can were as high as 81% interest. Now, for someone, for someone who has student loans up the ass, 81% sounds a lot interest. Wow. Wow. So, Edward noted that on the day that Dewey went missing... A lender called Anderson to demand payment. Edward argued, Edward argued that Anderson's money habits was due to a gambling habit in which he indulged in frequent visits to video gaming centers. At the Flying J Travel Center in neighboring LaSalle, for instance, the prosecutor stated that Anderson was known for claiming that, quote, he never lost for his, and for his spending habits. The prosecutor said that the testimony would be that the defendant virtually lives at the Flying J truck stop. This defendant, quote-unquote, is spending money hand over fist at the Flying J truck stop. So, at the same time, he was also known for asking people for money at a Morris truck stop. And then was using it to play video poker. And he was also suspected of stealing tips for the same purpose that Elward maintained. And that indicated that he had money coming from another source. And that source was Dewey. And that's what the prosecutor suggested. And, and one quick thing to note, again, it is important to note that Dewey's car was found in a truck stop. More truck stop. So oh. that's, that, that's where the, the it deepens, if you will. But continue. Huh. Now, according to Elward, the money from Deborah Dewey was helping to finance that lifestyle. Now, Anderson knew that Dewey's divorce settlement several years earlier included a payout of about $205,000, Elward stated. And it came out, according to the prosecution, that Dewey gave about $5,000 to $6,000 a month to Anderson during the final months of her life. And evidence showing that Dewey gave Anderson money was found via a small handwritten note that was found in Dewey's apartment. Called cryptic by both prosecutors and defense lawyers, it included a reference to the withdrawals, the phrases, 
he not paying taxes and money for Skip, which was Anderson's nickname. And it was referred to three checks written to him in 2012, totaling $620, according to the lawyer's statements. So, so to this end, Elwood called it important circumstantial evidence because it showed that, A, Dewey did lend money to Anderson in the past, and B, she kept records. The defense attorney, Drew Parker, objected on superficial grounds, stating, quote, this is obtuse, this is confusing, it doesn't say anything, adding that the withdrawals could have gone elsewhere, such as a joint account with Dewey's son. And he said, quote, we don't know why Deb Dewey was taking the money out. Well, Parker, <laughs> I said it well so fast, but Parker had also added that observers at the Flying J described Anderson and Dewey as best friends, as well as in-laws. The prosecution's emphasis on gambling seemed to be more of a search for motive than proof of one, he had suggested. But, Cam, if that's the case, if he's spending a hell of a lot of more than he makes, where is he getting it from? And if it so happens to be on video at these gambling spots with someone who has these financial means and is a very close acquaintance... That's a flimsy retort from the defense, in my view. And that how close you may wonder was Deb Dewey so willing to allegedly pour in money to Clifford Anderson. Well, a pivotal development from the prosecution entered into evidence was jailhouse calls recorded on June 14, 2017 and two, no, no, July 21st, 2017. So it's two dates while Anderson was in custody between himself and his wife, Diane. It's important to know, guys, that Diane is the sister of Deb. For starters, it was revealed from Anderson that he and Dewey were more than in-laws, more than best friends. They were lovers. Of course. And they were in a sexual relationship. And I've seen a lot of instances where that kind of arrangement is being made. Money for sex is one of the oldest tricks in the book. And let's sidebar on the motive. Cam, it's freestyle. Real. All of this money that Deb Dewey is giving Anderson. There has to be a point where, look, she may be thinking to herself, I'm hemorrhaging all of my funds for you, and you're finding yourself in deeper debt. I want out. Without that money, Anderson's way of life is greatly altered. And he's going to find himself in a pile of shit, no pun intended. Because the thing is, his family, his wife, knew nothing of Anderson's financial troubles, at least what has been gathered so far in our research. So what's to say that Deborah Dewey had, came, had a come-to-Jesus moment, and on top of cutting him out financially, maybe she's going to come clean to her sister, Anderson's wife about what's going on, and well, hey, if he can't convince her to keep up the charade, charade, the wheels are set in motion for a motive, and it's getting the means of getting the tools necessary to commit the deed, and the opportunity being that they've been in such intimate circles. So, going back to the jailhouse cells, the affair wasn't the only bombshell evidence at this time. Anderson is heard telling Diane there's two or three things they got me on and goes on to mention that his purchase of manure 
using Dewey's car and dropping it off at the location where police would later find it, the truck stops and the carpet cleaner with the DNA of both Dewey and Anderson present. In the call, Diane Anderson warns uh, Anderson not to take the stand because he talks too much and telling him that he didn't have to answer for the things investigators were asking him to. So, guess what? You don't have to respond. Oh. And she also said that she was also where he had possibly perhaps been seen entering the home where his sister's body had been recovered with the carpet cleaner. And Diane asked, did you go in with the cleaner? And he answered, yeah. So what she said in response was, we've got to come up with answers for some of this stuff. If you're covering up for someone, tell me who it is. Diane can also be heard telling her husband that she knew if he did do it, that he'd have found a less messy way without blood. Anderson also mentioned shacking up with Dewey, and that he'd been worried about what Diane would think if she finds out about me and Debbie. And what she, Diane said was, none of that bothers me. I'm more worried about the serious stuff. And that was her reply before telling him they needed to pray for a miracle. Okay, okay, okay. Let's, uh, let's kind of deep dive that shit for, I gotta, gotta cut back on the shit, but let's deep dive on that. So, this is, again, Deborah Dewey and Diane Anderson were sisters. So, it appears from these jailhouse calls, she's standing by her man. And before we started recording, I, I asked you, what if you were in a hypothetical situation, right? Like, how would that blow over? First off, ain't no sister of mine would go behind my back to have sex with my man and vice versa. That's, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I just, I don't know the family concept of all of that together is just so, ugh. it just seems like one of those people who live in a trailer and all live with each other. And that's what I think. It, 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 yeah. And I mean, it, it, again, it's just from, from all accounts, uh, Deborah, Dewey, like, that it's just one of those things is that she was helping this man. And again, you know, these it's human nature. You know, these things happen with affairs. It, it happens. But the fact that she, she, she helps him financially, she's his best friend, of sorts, their in-laws, and the fact that that ends up costing her her life. And like, I can't way... tell if she was trying to just be a good person or, mm-hmm. like, did it because she, quote-unquote, loved him or right. whatever. And... But regardless, like I said, regardless, again, if Adelie is wrong, but regardless, the fact that it still just goes back to the fact. I can't, I can't escape the fact that this guy who had this relationship with her in varied ways thought of her that much not only to kill her, but to bury her and shit. Like she meant nothing. And I just, that's what I don't get. It's like, 
Well, I don't understand the whole killing concept, too. But, like, why? Bury her and shit. And the fact that that the wife, despite this overwhelming, especially circumstantial evidence, and everything leading to this man's guilt, and the fact he says, well, I have all these things against me, she's talking about she's praying for a miracle. Can you, it's very... The fact that she didn't even acknowledge the fact that he did something wrong. That's fucking off kilter, dude. She is an instigator. She is an enabler. She makes herself just as guilty acting like that. Yeah. So the prosecution rested. Defense attorney Drew Parker then took his turn, motioning to drop the murder charge because although he believed the state could possibly prove concealment, they had failed to prove Anderson committed a murder. But Outward objective on the strength of the phone evidence that Anderson was the last person who spoken with Dewey. He was linked to hiding her vehicle. He was on video purchasing the manure, had repeatedly lied, made the jailhouse phone calls, and was implicated through all the circumstantial evidence. Judge Stephen Curry respectfully, quote-unquote, denied the motion. And the defense worked to convince the jury that the DNA present in the carpet cleaner was a result of two wounds that had bled while Dewey had recovered from a surgery in their home during 2005. However, Dr. Ramon Enciog of St. Margaret's Hospital testified that the stitches of both wounds were intact when he, de- when he examined Dewey nine days after her medical procedures and that the bleeding and oozing was normal. So... um you said 2005, the time that um, the Dewey recovered from surgery at the Which home was, was a year, during so it has 2015. To be a year before she goes missing. Yes, um, 2015. Um, but Anderson's son, Nathan Anderson, testified that he actually had been home all day in Standard on the day of Dewey's disappearance, and that his father hadn't come home during that time. Now, during that cross examination. Elward reminded the court that on August 22nd, 2016, Anderson would have had the ability to change clothes at the bowling ball house, the other standard property for which he was a caretaker. Now, Diane Anderson provided the final testimony of the case in defense of her husband. Hmm. Diane said she didn't recall seeing blood in her home after he had left. Following surgery, and he was unaware of her gambling. Mind you, he spent so much money he couldn't afford it, and she had no idea any of this was going on. And she also only knew of one of his many high interest loans, which, again, she's making it sound like that's not a problem, which it is. So what she ended up saying was, "I wanted to ignore it. I didn't want to know." Is what she said of Anderson's we gambling. We call that selective amnesia. And the fact and how she said it clearly to me says she did know. I wanted to ignore it. I didn't want to know, but you did. So at this time, the Andersons had five sources of income, again, totaling approximately $6,000 a month. Like you said earlier, they lived rent-free, and Diane Anderson said she only paid one car payment and the insurance for that vehicle and the utility bill. And she... 
testified that Anderson regularly withdrew roughly 5000 a month and added while she knew he liked to pay, pay for things in cash, she didn't know what he did with the money. Diane Anderson also testified that she was with her husband when approaching the crime scene when investigators were in the process of covering the remains of Dewey. However, two Illinois State Police investigators who had testified before stated that Anderson had been alone. And during Parker's questioning, Diane Anderson said that the other members of the family did not like Deborah Dewey, though co-prosecutor Mary Claire Nicholson had reminded Anderson that her sisters had testified to gathering for a large surprise party shortly before Deborah Dewey's disappearance. Quote unquote, as Diane Anderson said, my family no longer wants me around. Now you think? I gee, I wonder why. I wonder fucking why. That's just the that's just some, wow. On July twentieth, two thousand eighteen, after closing arguments on each respective side. The trial goes into the jury's hands, and after just four hours of deliberation, they come back with a verdict of victor, of, of guilty. So from there, it was Anderson was sentenced on August 26, 2018, to 60 years in prison for first-degree murder, and an additional five years for concealment of a homicidal death. On the day of sentencing, Judge Stephen Curry recalled his horror and disgust over the fate Deborah Dewey met, which played a role in his decision. This was a brutal murder, Corey said. It's hard to have a range of murders more or less brutal. They're all brutal, but this one's at the top. The following day, he was hauled off to Stateville Correctional Center, where he's there to this day. And again, I know you'd be wondering, you'll wonder when you guys listen to this. Well, it's, it's, you know, he, why didn't he get life? Like, what the fuck? 60 years. <laughs> In his age, it's, it's, it's a technically yes, it's, it's essentially a life sentence because as of this writing, Anderson is seventy years old, and that is the. And it's only been how long? How long has it been since this killing? It's been four years. Four years. So almost four years to the day. I had no about last week was uh, uh, four years to the day. And yeah. next week is going to be four years to the day that they found uh, her remains. Um, and that's the case of Deborah Dewey. I mean, let's just gauge your opinion on, on what we've been talking about for the last 40 or so minutes. I wish I knew more of her story and yes. why she was included. Um, but I think Diane should serve some type of time because to me she seemed more like an accessory Mm -hmm. she knew a lot more than what she was revealing the way she was talking to him um and then the way she was playing the whole oh i don't know i don't want to know it's like okay you know something and nobody deserves to die like that for for no fucking reason she she got murdered for no reason and to me both Clifford and Diane act like it's not a big deal that they took her life. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. They're worrying about, and you have overwhelming, okay, if somebody argue, well, you don't have that actual smoking gun, 
Some may argue with the carpet cleaner and the DNA and the fact that all of the, the motive, and it's, it's a strong circumstantial case, and it was an easy, it was an easy case for the jury to deliberate if it only took four hours, and the judge made that much of a uh, uh, impactful and definitive ruling. It's one of That's those things. That's what I find crazy, too. For him to think how, I mean, I didn't see the pictures, but for him to talk about how mm -hmm. crazy it was for him to view those. Yeah. Yeah. One can only, I mean, it's just, again, she found that it's found in one of his, in one of the vacant homes. And I mean, it's every, all signs are leading to Clifford Anderson. I think that's, I think that's not up for debate. Clifford Anderson did kill Deborah Dooley. But again, going back to, like you said, with Diane Anderson, like, that's not a response you would, you would, you know, there's some cases where you stand by your man, but then you try to, when you're on the, the stand, you try to paint the family against her like she's the outcast. It's very, just, that's just grimy, dude. And, it's like, grimy. I wish I knew more of their backgrounds mm -hmm. because, like, she almost seemed like she was very submissive to whatever. Yeah, it's one of those wanted. things. And it, like, it, it, it seems there's like there's no way that he one, even if he didn't, let's say, commit the murder. Why the fuck are you burying a dead body uh -huh. in manure why? on your property? Why? How how does one not notice a pile of manure on their property? It's one of the damnest things. I mean, the fact and, again. You have so little regard for a person that you bury them in shit. That's... And the fact too that that she paid so much for them and they still couldn't make they were making six K a month and mm -hmm. they still didn't have enough money. Like fuck out of here. It, it's one of those things that again it's sad that sometimes your kindness gets taken for weakness and that's a morbid cautionary tale of what happens it seems when that shit when it, when it goes down so yeah that is the story of clifford anderson and deborah dewey if you guys have more information uh guys feel free to hit us up facebook ig whatever personal things we will be back soon rather than later sooner rather than later for damn sure because we do have a lot of uh, content that we have churning at the bits it'll be interesting it will be interesting so um before we go before we go uh cam they can reach you on the facebook on cam e Ren. they can also find you on the twitter on i like stuff 630 and they can find you on ig i know i'm going to get this wrong the last time I did it, it was Barbo Ho, but I think, but I think it's Cameron Barbo on IG. No, it's Cameron. I think. Uh, actually, I don't know. Huh? Maybe I thought it was Cameron B, like Cameron, and then B E E. We'll see. You'll you'll find me. But Cameron you can Barbo. Yep, yep, I got it right. It was Cameron Barbo. Oh, okay. Um, you can find Birdman on the Twitter at Birdman Four, like the number four, America Twenty Twenty. Um, I, you switched it on me on Facebook. Yes, I it did. was Alex Camp at one point. 
Um, but if you go onto his Twitter and you go to the link that he has, see attack, don't go through that. That's not his actual Facebook. Um, but he is also on Facebook for Um, and then on the Insta is, I, it's Birdman for No, America, the Insta, right? yeah, the Insta is the world according to Alex Camp. Oh, you always, man, that's... I don't know. I think I was look, I think Camp. I was looking for the yeah the the world was it the the world the world according to Alex Mack or some it was a show that was on Nickelodeon back in the day. I don't know. I was just I was probably doing some Clarissa explain it all vibes. Or something. Yeah, I was so, like, oh man. But we mm-hmm. will be back before you know it. Again, guys, thank you so much for your support. Whether you listen you know, on Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts, we will be back sooner than later. For Cam, this is Bird signing out. We are Killinois. Be there or be killed, bitch. Be there or be killed. <laughs>